This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? I'm doing well, man. You know, whenever I get to say that to you live, like, I feel like I'm going to put a hole in your arm because I really like it's excitement when I get to say that to you live. I, get I don't to know. See his it might be anger. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. Anger. I'm not mad at you. Brother. Listen, bro. I think they put a moratorium on the blue check stuff. Otherwise, no, bro, you should no. be on there. Nope, nope. If it was up to me. I'm good. You got right. it, brother. But man, I'm so <laughs> excited. Like, Mr. Blue Check. <laughs> okay. I'm so excited because we're here live in D.C. This is our last tour stop. D.C., how y'all feel? Man, it's been a crazy tour, man. Oh, so good. Wow. And people can't see this, but I'm actually (laughs) holding the advanced reading copy. I know this is so mean to do this to you guys, but I'm holding the advanced reader copy of The Color of Compromise. It's my first time being able to hold it. I've only been able to see the PDF. Bro, how does this feel? It's coming out in a couple of months. It's kind of surreal to be like looking at it, you know, just to put that much work into something. And now it's like a a real thing. So I hope people buy it and read it and are challenged by it. Where can they go to pre-order? They can go to Amazon.com. Pre-order the book. You can get it in Kindle or hardcover. And what's the website? And the website is thecolorofcompromise.com. Please sign up for the newsletter. We We need him to get as much publicity as possible for this. So... I, I have to say this, Jamar. Recently, I was watching this show, right? You have the chance to watch any, any shows? A few. A few. What are you watching? What you been watching? <laughs> no, I can't say. <laughs> what you mean? I thought you was going to say, like, Luke Cage, we just got killed. Like, I know I'm you're sorry. real broken up about that. I, I am. I'm sad. Okay, I'll it. tell you. I put. I, I watch movies on repeat. Okay? okay, so The Equalizer with Denzel Washington, I watch that constantly. John really? Wick 1 and John Wick 2, constantly. Really? Huh. Yes, 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 yes. The first, um, uh, Jack Reacher, not the second one. Okay, first. Yes, why why yes. not the second one? The second one is cheesy, man. It's just too. The first corny. one cheesy too. Uh, it's Tom Cruise. It can't get no cheesier than that. <laughs> the latest Mission Impossible. Come on, I mean, y'all. but it's cheesy though. You know, you know it's cheesy. I'm watching it for the action scenes. You get the pattern. Yes. Fine, fine. Well, I just had this amazing thought, and it's the idea that many of us have probably thought, but you never really consciously processed it. I was watching this show and I was trying to figure out why the character was doing what they were doing. So I'm like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could step into the television and grab this character and be like, why are you doing this? Has anyone ever thought that? No, like, no, I'm just, I'm just curious. Listen, I'm just saying for me, I can give you some examples. Okay. So the first example I was thinking of is y'all saw Black Panther, right? You wouldn't be here if you didn't see Black <laughs> So, they had to check the box when they bought the right, ticket. Right, okay. Have yeah. you seen Black Panther? <laughs> so anyway, I still, I, every time I watch Black Panther, I get mad at Wakabi, man. Every time, I'm like, listen, Wakabi, what you doing, bro? Like, you got to you know, set the scene. Longer. You got to remind him. Yes. Okay, so Wakabi was basically T'Challa, Black Panther's right-hand man. 
Killmonger comes through, and I think because of something that happened with Wakabi's family, Claw kills his parents, and then, you know, T'Challa couldn't grab him, and then, like, it wasn't necessarily his fault, but Wakabi still, like, flipped to Killmonger. He was like, yeah. Team Killmonger, so quick. That's your boy. <laughs> like, if that's your boy, how you gonna flip to Killmonger? So quick. And he wasn't even broken up that the dude killed him, allegedly. We didn't know that. To, I'm sorry. I'm spoiling the whole. Oh, it's way past that. Uh-uh. No. It's on streaming now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got that. Uh, yeah. Got but anyway, that. so for those of you who've been they holding out. Months. They had three months. <laughs> for those of you that have been holding out. But when, when Killmonger throws him off the cliff, Wakabi doesn't know he's not dead. Wakabi wasn't even broken up. He was like, well, you know, all hell <laughs> kill happens. Yeah. I'm like, what? So that's number one. Do you have some? Do you have one? Okay, okay. Since we're on the uh, Marvel kick and spoiler alert, right? Like this one's even more recent. So just mute us for the next sixty seconds if you haven't oh, seen no, Avengers. Bro. I know Infinity exactly War. where you're going. You know you had to do this. You wanted to jump in the screen when Star Lord is punching. Uh, Thanos's face, and they're just this close away from pulling the Infinity Gauntlet off. I get it. Are you kidding? He me? killed his girl. I know you're mad, but he's about to wipe out half the population of the universe. You killed my girl. You gotta go. Yo. You gotta see me. You gotta see these hands. My Lena got the one. These hands work. <laughs> like, yes. Okay. I'm sorry, y'all. Half of y'all going, but yo, you touched my. You okay. Touched my okay. Woman. Okay. It's a, it's a one two. One B. Then okay. Okay. So Thor has his new hammer. What what is it called? I, Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. Yeah, yeah, I knew yeah. y'all would know. He has Stormbreaker. He comes in on this column of lightning. I don't throws know how you can blame him. Thor for this, though. And then, and then Thanos stutters up. You should, you should, you should have gone for the head. Well, how was he supposed it. to know, man? I know, but still, you wanted to jump in and say, "No, wait a minute, wait a minute, go for the head." Boom, we're done. Listen, okay, here's another one for me. Boys in the hood. Oh. Why isn't Ricky zigzagging, man? Like, zigzag, Ricky. Like, yo, just, you know what I'm saying? Zigzag. Don't make me cry up in here. Come zigzag, on, man. bro. Like, I don't understand. Ricky zigzag. You see the man got the gun. He screams, I'm doing something. I don't know. I'm doing a barrel roll. I'm dancing. Like, I'm nay-naying. I can't, can, man. Can, and, and, and then another one for me, this kind of takes it back, but yo, Fredo from Godfather 2. <laughs> how you going to dis, how you going, your your brother is the crime boss, the Lord, the kingpin. Breaking my heart. And then he's out here like disrespecting his brother, going behind the scenes. Like, I'm like, man, he wasn't thinking. Okay, you got to do one smart. more. Okay, so this one's like from the real world. Can I use a real world example? Where you just want to jump mean, in the screen. it's good, Yeah. We're taking it back to 2015. Oh, no. Here we go. He's going to say the Republican primary. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> the Republican presidential oh. primary. We literally had 17 different people. You had anybody, anybody from Rick Perry to Jeb Bush to Marco Rubio, even nice. Ted Cruz, anybody else but who we got. Like, close your eyes and point. Like, anyone else, anyone, can we just stop, pause, jump in and say, y'all, we we already telling you this is going to not turn out well. It's even worse than we thought, so please don't do it. Listen, man, I, if we could jump in, I would just do that. That's you, man. You know, Jamar, the political guy. You know, I just <laughs> I just keep it pop culture. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I don't yeah, even... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Boys in the hood. Real pop culture. Real cool. Real sweet. Yeah, Listen, yeah. man, I'm just saying. I've always thought every time I'm like, man, maybe this time he'll zigzag. Anyway, so we all kind of want to have this 
this narrative conversation with people who do things in a television screen, on a tablet, or on a laptop, and we're like, we don't understand what's going on. But the question I was thinking of is, what if you could stop yourself? What if you could go back in time and grab your your younger self, your 18-year-old Jamar, your 21, 22-year-old Jamar, Mm -hmm. and speak truth into your life Mm. before you were going to make some of the mistakes you did? Like, what's one thing you would say? I'm putting you on the spot. What's one thing you would say to yourself? If you could stop yourself at 18, or let's just say 21 here, because 18 is too young. <laughs> 21 years old. Think about this. What would you say to yourself? If I knew then what I know yes. now. Um, I would not be as worried about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Hmm. I would just do. You know, I would, I would follow. I would, I would do what I hope was meaningful, like justice stuff right? right giving yourself away to others but i just remember wringing my hands so much about what am i gonna be you know what's gonna be my thing my profession my life mm-hmm. and to be honest like if you were to ask me what are you gonna be when you grow up i still don't know i still don't i'm still in school <laughs> but i'm less okay, worried about no, it yo, i'm looking at your book right now <laughs> so, Bruh, i think this ain't a job just ask my wife just it ain't like, a job lane pretty set though but, but that's that's true that's but it's true. like you know i spent all this energy because people are constantly asking you because mm-hmm. we always invest meaning in what you do rather than who you are hmm. so so concentrating on being instead of doing man that's deep I think if it were me, 21 or 18, especially, I would say, go to a different college. (laughs) I I wouldn't have met Adam, but I think there were some things that now I look back on. I'm like, man, I probably could have had a different awakening, a younger awakening. Probably come to a realization of some things. It shaped me for who I am, so I don't look back on it and say, like, it's nothing about it that's redeemable or that I can learn from. There are plenty of things that that are redeemable and I can learn from. Adam's looking at me like, yeah, bro. (laughs) But at the same time, you kind of look back and you're like, man, I probably could have been shaped a different way. And formation in those years is so important. But you wouldn't have had that incredible experience of being in a fraternity. No, let's not. We're not going there. I'm not talking about this yet. Ask me in the AMA. I'm not talking about this yet. So here's here's what we want to do tonight. What we want to do is we want to stop ourselves mid-movement because a year ago, as we were talking about before we pressed record, we changed our name from the Reformed African American Network to the Witness of Black Christian Collective. And in the middle of this, there's a lot of people who are going through their own shifts. I think all of you can probably identify with a shift that's happening on the inside of you, whether it's from traditional white evangelical Christianity. Um, but I think just coming to a realization based upon hashtags or based upon elections or based upon uh, disillusionment, maybe some of you have left your churches, maybe some of you have left your denominations, maybe some of you have just decided you're going to push away from some of the things that you are clinging really tightly to. And so the question is, like, we want to actually stop ourselves and say, what are some things that over the past year we've learned and kind of give some insights into how we're thinking? Because for me, I mean, you know, whenever we have Thanksgiving dinner, whenever we have Christmas, <laughs> after we eat the food, we gather around the living room and we're watching something coming to America. Itis. We got the itis. But that's when my aunties and my uncles, they're kind of push into me and they'll ask me some questions like, what are you doing with your life? What's Uh-oh. going on? You know, like, and what are some things that you're learning as well, um, which is uh, super important. So I wanted to ask this question, Jamar, three questions that we've kind of been stewing on and thinking about over the past few months. And maybe this will relate to you. Maybe this will be an encouragement to you as well. 
What's one reflection from the overall shift and name change that you've realized over the last year? One reflection, one thing that's important just from changing the name. And then I think on a broader level, shifting away from a certain, you know, colonized Christianity, moving towards a true biblical uh, Christian that embraces your culture. Well, I mean, making the move itself was a big, big deal. Uh, So we announced the name change on October 31st, 2017, which is celebrated as Reformation Day. And how long have we been talking about that? Because I think it's important for people to to know how long we've been talking about that. The name change? Yeah, the name change. Yeah, exactly. So months, I mean, several months on the phone, um, on email and in person, we had a million conversations. It would be funny to bring out some of the, <laughs> some of the, some of the names yeah. that we had thought about before we landed on The Witness. That would be very interesting. Yeah, we need um, to do that. So one of, our biggest, one of my biggest hesitations was what would the reaction be, uh, especially from our critics, right? Because we had already faced so much criticism as far as our orthodoxy, right? Like where we really gospel, where we really reform, where we really biblical, because we're talking about race and justice, X, Y, Z, and now we're changing the name, so it's like, oh, well, see, we told you. you <laughs> right. Um, so I was... I was I'm, I'm cool if they think you that. Know, like, that's exactly, fine. exactly. But then there was the other part of what are we jumping into? Like, 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 there was no roadmap or blueprint, so we had no idea what would actually happen with this. So I think the, the takeaway from that, and it's been a great year, which we'll talk more about, uh, but the takeaway from that is don't let fear drive your decisions. Hmm. Hmm. Um, because if, 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 if I had stayed in my fear, either fear of the backlash or fear of the yeah, uncertainty. Talk a little about those fears, because the specifics of those fears, like I think fear, we use it as a general concept. Mm-hmm. But we need to talk about like the specific. What are some of the specific fears that we had? Yeah, like from the people, maybe the the groups and maybe the collectives that we were a part of previously. So, one thing we were f- f- afraid of is losing people, uh, because part of it, folks gravitated to us for the African American part. Part of it, they gravitated for the reform part. And so, if we sort of put any of that in more of the background, who would we lose and would we gain anyone else, <laughs> right? right? Sure, sure, would we sure. just lose them and be smaller <laughs> right. and just be this faithful mustard seed? That's that's fine too. Um, so that was one. The other was, you know, just like I said, that that people would see, say, aha, we told you all along that when you start talking about these issues, you drift away from the Bible, you sure. drift away from orthodoxy, and you can't trust them. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. Uh, so, I mean, the thing is, that's not about, that's not even actually about your biblical orthodoxy. Right. It's right. not even about scripture. It's about the critics and what they think. Hmm. And, yeah. and it's actually about their own idols and their own hang-ups. So hmm. I think that's one of the things that we've sort of, yeah. or at least I've sort of come to realize. It's like, you know what? Every person, every time someone disagrees with me, it's not because I presented it wrong. 
hmm. or I did something wrong. It could be on them. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's freeing as well, mm-hmm. too. I think one thing I've been diving into is what you've actually mentioned and what you talked about um, that I may, I don't want to make it seem like I'm pushing back on the concept because I understand what you're saying. But I think this idea that there's a tradition of people that came before us and over the past year in particular, as I've studied and researched and kind of opened up the possibilities of the library and some of the places that we can glean and learn from, I've realized that there's a tradition of people, whatever conversation we have right now it's not the first time the conversation's been had. You know, <laughs> so everything I think, has a history. Everything has a history. And so I think sometimes we're in, we're in a, a space where we think we're the only ones who have ever had this conversation. That's not true. Like not even going back to the early church, not even going back to uh, the foundation of the black church in America, not even talking about the global church, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk about the global church a little bit later. But I think this idea that we have and it's 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 rooted in our own American individualism that the, the church revolves around one small sector of people that we follow on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we start to think that the people that we follow on Twitter and the and the names of the popular names of the books that we've read and one tradition of Christianity is the only thing that has ever been when we don't realize there are people even oftentimes in our own neighborhoods and our own communities who have had these conversations and wrestled with these issues mm. long before we have. Mm. And so it kind of humbles us to take a step back and say, we need to be put in a, a posture and a position of learning yes. and actually of sitting back and, and sitting at the feet of those elder statesmen who have gone before us, whether we can do it physically or even going back to their resources and some of the conversations oh, that they were having. Yeah. And, man, and just to put an exclamation point on it, it's like we have... A, a a myopic view of theology in particular. I'm using that as a sort of a big catch-all term for how we understand the faith, right? And we, you know, just to put it bluntly, we trust dead white guys. Sure. Yeah. But why? Right, <laughs> like, right. And, and only dead white guys, right? right? And, and so there tends to be our bookshelves are, 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 are a very narrow slice of white male Euro-American Christianity. Mm-hmm. Which there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but that's a single narrative. That's right. one take. It should be interrogated. Yes, it should be interrogated. And so, like you're saying, so re- recently I've just been going back just to one, one of Howard Thurman's works, Jesus <laughs> right. and the Disinherited, oh, goodness, yeah. which is going to take me years just to <laughs> yeah, digest, yeah. right? Like, it's not even mean? a big book. It's like, not it's even like... a big book. It's <laughs> right. super short. Um, but how many other incredible pastors, theologians, thinkers, activists have we missed? I did a presentation on Fannie Lou Hamer as an organic theologian because she didn't go, she didn't learn theology in the academy. She learned it as a sharecropper. She learned it picking cotton. She learned it uh, being so poor that in the winter, it does get cold in Mississippi in the winter. They had to wrap rags around her feet because she didn't have Hmm. shoes, right? Hmm. Like that's where she developed her theology mm-hmm. and it propelled her activism all the way to the democratic national convention in 1964 yeah. all the way to lyndon b johnson saying we got to cut her off because that testimony is too disruptive yes yes that's the theology i want to learn <laughs> right you know we were even, even talking about dr samuel dewey proctor yes. and dr right. gardner c taylor and just some of these titanic names of people if you haven't heard of them google them like look them up like read their works and going back and ordering their books and and leafing through and then also kind of scrolling through some of the things on YouTube as well, like some of the grainy clips on YouTube <laughs> that they have. It's still fire. Yes. And and man, I even did uh I even ordered the uh Beecher lectures 
from 1975, I believe it is, from um, Gardner Taylor at nice. Yale Theological Seminary. And so I order them. They come in CD, and it's all like <laughs> you, still you have, have a to, CD yeah, player. <laughs> you, you have to dust off your CD player, dust off your boombox, and <laughs> it just it fed me. It really taught mm. me a lot. So anyway, I say all that to say, like we have to be careful about thinking that we're the only ones That's or we're good. the first ones. Um, what another question? Your second question. What's a conversation that you see us leaning into? Because I think sometimes people don't know maybe the conversations that we're having behind the scenes. They only see us whether it's on the podcast, they listen to us, or they see us on Twitter or Facebook. What's a conversation that we need to lean into more over the next year? And a conversation that maybe you could speak prophetically into the movement mm. to say this is this is what we actually need to work on ourselves mm. um, and change. I think one of the things that's been recurring to me over the last year is, like I said, we, were, we, we weren't quite sure what we were stepping into or what we would become. It was a lot clearer when we changed the name from Ran to the Witness what we didn't want to be or what we were moving away from. It was less clear what we were moving toward. And so defining and articulating that mission has been an ongoing process, and it still is. But I think one of the things that has come up over and over again is that our, our mission is liberation. And that's a dirty word in certain Christian circles. Liberation. You know, you're only doing funny things with the Bible. Come on, man. <laughs> Bible is about liberation. Jamar spicy. Jamar from like, beginning on, to end. Yes, like yes, from yes, beginning sure. to end. Whether it's freedom from sin, freedom from Pharaoh, freedom from your own shame and guilt. Come on. Liberation is all over the Bible. And I think that that, that is a prophetic word. And mm-hmm. so in our specific context... And, and I have the privilege of going to colleges and universities, and I love that age, 18 to 22. You're sort of making your faith your own, right? Like you've, you, you've grown up with an idea of what religion is and what you should be doing, but now you're out on your own. And even if you're not in college, you're just at that phase of where, do I really believe what the people I trust taught me to believe? And so it's this sort of really malleable age, and what I find is that when I, f- I tell, especially college students, this one thing, it's going to sound blunt, but I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to say it. Um, your worth doesn't depend on white people. <laughs> like, it doesn't. Like, especially at that age, right? Um, you're, you're, you're trying to fit in. You're trying to find a place. You're trying to prove your legitimacy. And that goes far beyond the college age. And I'm like, you have freedom, though. You don't have to be limited by what the majority thinks of you, right, nor right. do you have to try to present yourself in such a way that the majority will accept you in right. terms of assimilation, sure, right? Sure, So you pursue truth, you pursue righteousness, you pursue holiness and faithfulness on your own terms as the Bible teaches us mm. what that's about, but we've made whiteness the measuring stick. And I'm like, no, that's not it, actually. Right. right. But I, my point is, I think we need to hear that. And we all are kind of unlearning that. Though, exactly. In a healthy way. Yes. But I think that's also not just a conservative concept as well, because I think the, the knee jerk is we're talking about conservative theology, too. But I think it's also a progressive and liberal question, too. Because a lot of the progressive and liberal theology that we, we have, it mm. also cites... Say that. Say that. <laughs> Dead white men as well in yeah. the same way. So it's like we have to break ourselves from thinking that that's the standard right. and the measuring stick. Yeah. I'll say one thing, and we were talking about this actually over the past week, is this idea that we pushed for justice and we talk about justice without expecting our lifestyles to change. Mm. Specifically as it relates to one core concept that I think is going to become 
a very important conversation for us to lean into, but also for justice movements in general. And that that's greed, greed. Um, I think we have so much and we don't realize how much we have. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times it's very easy for us to, to point at other people and say, they're not doing this. We need these policies while at the same time we pour our money into systems that continue to disenfranchise, hmm. that continue uh, to, to, to prop up unjust systems with where we spend our dollars. And we're not interrogating how we save our money and what we use our money for. And I think it's possible for justice minded people to, ju- to be just as consumed with the American dream as anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we say this and it's very easy for us to, to, to type and to tweet and to talk, but not to correspond with a, a sacrifice, with a sacrifice that lays down the acclaim, not just the acclaim, not just saying, okay, we're going to be defiant, but also we're going to lay down our money too. We're going to sacrifice job opportunities. We're going to sacrifice um, maybe some of the some of the higher levels of promotion that we would get to because what we're more concerned with is lifting up our brothers, lifting up the least of these uh, where are we going to live? Like, where are we going to? Are we going to move out to the suburbs? Are we going to move into the place where it's like, well, I don't know if this is safe. You That's know? the gospel. Like, I yeah. mean, you know, this is this is gospel work. It's not just justice work. It's not just this American conversation. But I think in America, it can skew it, and especially being, you know, a son of of baby boomers and black Americans. Yeah, there is this mentality that you're supposed to keep leveling up and keep yep. leveling up and keep leveling up, yeah. and that is a cultural mindset that's that has no root in kingdom. Mm. And what does the kingdom of God tell us to do? And sometimes it's we got to go carry our cross. <laughs> you gonna be poor. You <laughs> yeah, gonna be poor. You may. And uh, I think you may have I to think, give it away. Yeah. I think us coming to that realization, we've been having that conversation back and forth of what does it look like for us to steward our resources well for justice, not just talk a good justice game, but to actually be about that. And I think as a corollary to that. There's so much distance between the issues we say we care about and the people who are actually impacted by them. You know, like I'm just sitting here, especially like online on social media, and people are commenting powerfully, even eloquently about justice issues, whether it's mass incarceration or poverty or whatever. And I'm like, but do you know these folks? Hmm. Are you around them? You know what they talk like? Do you know their names? Do you know where they live? Hmm. Have they eaten with you? Have you prayed with them? Or is this this you know just like this virtue signaling yeah. type of thing, which even black people do, right? Yeah. Like that's not. Do you invite people to come to your table who are recently just got out of prison? Right. Do you invite them to come to your table so the recidivism isn't a thing for them? Like, or are you just saying, okay, I'll show up once a month and I'll preach the gospel to them, but then when they get out, there's no community for them, and then they go right back in. That's something I've been challenged on. Like a couple yeah. of people from Chicago have challenged me in that. Wow. Way. And, you know, they're doing phenomenal work and they're like, man, if your table isn't open, it does no good to say you fight against mass incarceration. Mm. There's, a, <laughs> there's your an, table. There's an in, it's incarnational solidarity. Hmm. Like you got to be close to people who are suffering. Yes. If you want to actually fight for justice, because unless you're close to people, you can't feel their pain and you can't act in solidarity with yes. them. Uh, yeah, so it's the message of Christ. It's the example of Christ. exactly right. One final question here, and we'll wrap up. But what has the last year? What's one lesson that the last year has taught you personally? Not talking about the witness, not talking about justice, but what's one lesson personally you've learned in your walk? I know I'm I'm like beat up here. <laughs> what's one lesson personally that you've learned in your walk? 
Oh, this is about to be deep. No, I'm just trying to because <laughs> there's did, so much the, learn. <laughs> that's that uncle. That's that uncle right there. That's that. Here we go. The world is so much bigger than I thought. Hmm. So you talked about having this narrow slice that we thought was all of religion, all of Christianity. And I lived in that world. Like I was st- I waved the banner for Reformed Theology. He sure right? did. Like, he was banner waving when I, I met mean, him. I mean, my goodness. But like, I, was I was an too, evangelist so was like- <laughs> for the... <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and to me, that was the whole thing, right? And if I could find sort of acceptance within these circles and, and you know, theological fluidity and, and adeptness in these circles, then that was that was it. That was the thing. Mm-hmm. Ran smack again into, into racism, into white supremacy, into that stuff that's that's baked into the whole enterprise that you can't just remove, you know, this part and say, okay, we're good. You got to you got to go back to the drawing board in many ways, right? Um and and uh, when I started saying that, hmm. rejection, stiff arm, right? And so I didn't didn't leave so much as got pushed out of those circles. Right. But what I discovered was a much bigger world beyond. Hmm. And in many ways, a much more exciting and a realer world, right? Hmm. Where you have a lot of diversity, not just racial and ethnic, but you have gender, class, yeah. ideologies, right? Um, so I'll give you an example. In, in, uh, in April... Of 2018, it was the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Um, an evangelical group held a conference in Memphis where King was assassinated, mm-hmm. and in years past, that I would have made a beeline to that. Sure. This year, Bo and I were there. We we went to the events hosted by the National Civil Rights Museum, which is built onto the Lorraine Motel, mm-hmm. where King was assassinated. So, m- incredibly powerful. Museum, so well done. Shout out to the curators, the historians, the staff who work there. If you haven't been, make the pilgrimage. I call it a pilgrimage on purpose. Um, and so we went to those events hosted by the National Civil Rights Museum, and I was blown away by who was there, right? It was a lot of famous black people you would expect, right? Like like Jesse Jackson and, and others. Um, but it was just a whole lot of folks from across the racial spectrum who cared about justice. And I'm, when I'm telling you, this was a secular event, but it was, it, look, you got black folk, it's going to be church in there. <laughs> and so there was literally call and response. Yeah, there were responsive yeah. readings. There were prayers. Um, and so it was this truly, genuinely spirit-filled event, but one that I would never have thought to access had I not been you know, pushed out of a circle that I thought was it. And then pushed into a world that was much broader and richer. And I'm so grateful that happened. Yeah. So mine is kind of tying into that. It's the idea that we genuinely need each other. And I think there's a, there's a vein in our work that makes it seem like we're the only ones, as I was talking about earlier. And then there's the American influence of this idea of rugged individualism. Mm-hmm. Like we're supposed to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And when we go home at 530, we, we close the door behind us and let down the garage and we're in our enclave. Mm-hmm. And we make sure to stay in that silo uh, for as long as we can. And recently I had the, the privilege of, of going to South Africa. And in Cape Town, South Africa, it blew up all my paradigms of what Christianity looks like. But then beyond that. Um, I think it blew up this idea that we're the only ones who are having these conversations and we're the only ones who are faithful, uh, <laughs> that they need us. And, yeah. uh, you know, shout out to the, they, it was just a group of people 
in a in a room like this, we were having lunch, and you know they were talking about the witness, and they were ta- they were asking questions, they were challenging, and we prayed for each other. And I said, "Man, this is like this is incredible community that most of us wouldn't even know was going on." Mm-hmm. And I think we have to expand ourselves and expand our mind to think beyond kind of these enclaves that we built. And even within our own small tribe, like we need each other. Like you need to check up on your brother and your sister. Like you need to advocate for your brother and your sister. You need to bring them over and have them have dinner prepared for them. (laughs) And you need to pay for their gas sometimes and and let them have a vacation. And I, I just I think it's so important for us to remember and lean into the brotherhood and sisterhood that we have in Christ and then let that play itself out in tangible ways. I'm all about tangibility now. Mm. Don't say you're going to pray for me. Pray for me right now. Mm. Like, no, stop. Actually, pray for me. I got time. <laughs> <laughs> just just hit me with a five-minute, like, do that, please. Like, if, if I say, oh, man, you know, I'll think about giving to that. No, give right now. Pull out your phone and give. You have a lot. And I think we need each other. And in this season, especially with what's going on in our country, with what's going on in our world, don't isolate yourself. Don't separate yourself from the community of believers and the community of faith. And even if it's if it's atypical, even if you're you know in a place where you're healing and you're trying to recover from church hurt or whatever it may be, uh, that's a real thing. I want to acknowledge that we see that. But at the same time, like band up with some people who are on that same wave right. and and open up the scriptures and <laughs> pray and fellowship and have self care and pour into one another. Um, because the time is too short and 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 there is an urgency mm. and that urgency mm. can drive us into isolation mm. and it's that's not the kingdom the kingdom is drawing us together with a broader body of Christ and i always tell people it doesn't take a big group no jesus had 12 right like so specifically in the context of church a lot of people are maybe in a predominantly white church and they're trying to push them toward more diversity toward more focus on justice and they feel like they're not getting any traction i'm like there's five or six of y'all in that church. Find them and y'all get together and you do what you can. And it may move the congregation, it may move the pastors and elders or not, but you found a group. Found people. You found a community, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think in many ways that's that was the goal of the Pass the Mic tour, right? Was that we were connecting online. One of the things that we wanted to do was say you're not alone. Black, white, whomever we we're concerned about the same issues. Yes. We're burdened by the same concerns. Absolutely. And we wanted to to provide a a meeting space online through the website or through the podcast where you could connect with like-minded people, where you could get equipped and informed. But then the tour was that incarnational solidarity part, was getting face-to-face with you and being able to make connections and shake hands and laugh yes. and pray together uh, because this is the kingdom. Hmm. It's not just in a church building. That's important. Go to church. But this is, you know, the the church capital C, the church hmm. universal, where we can connect with one another across state lines, across racial and ethnic lines, across hmm. experiences, across ages and genders, because we're united by the Holy Spirit. And this is just a wonderful way to be able to actually experience that and not just say it. That's good. So if you if you leave here and you don't meet anybody, then you failed. <laughs> you got to come back. We got to do it again. Come on, introverts. Just you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> I'm an introvert, so I know exactly what you're talking. That's why about. he's always behind the mic. Yeah, I'm like, uh... <laughs> no, but thank you guys so much. Um, now we're gonna break here, and I think we're going to. 
This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.